everybody, to another podcast here. I'm Mark Steiner, and uh, we're about to have a conversation, but I got this email that I want to interview Rachel Fishman Federson, and I knew who she was. She's publisher and CEO of The Forwards, which is celebrating its 120th anniversary as one of the oldest Jewish newspapers in America, if not the oldest, one that I read as a child a lot with my grandparents, and I said, sure, and then I was shocked because then she said she knew me. I was even more shocked. Now she's in Baltimore about to give a speech to Beth DeFilla about the history of the Jewish forwards and more, about the forwards and more. And Rachel, welcome. Good to have you with us here in the studio. I am delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. So the forwards. Yeah. <laughs> so so it is, it's 120 years this it's year, It's 120 right? years, yeah. And your tone of voice is like the forwards. The forwards. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's funny. We've been publishing continuously since we were founded 120 years ago. Still at the excellent standard of journalism we've always had. But at this point, this brand is a little under the radar. It is. I mean, one of the reasons on the radar maybe is because people see it as an old people's thing. I mean, it was a Yiddish paper, a paper written in Yiddish, right. not even English. Right, right. A Yiddish socialist daily newspaper. Right. So, okay, when you put it that way, <laughs> sounds a little archaic, but in fact... 1890s, right. whatever, right? What's, what's, <laughs> the thing that I like to think about when I think about the forward is the name. I mean, the name was visionary, right? right? Right. It's still as fresh now as it was 120 years ago. And our mission has always been around Judaism, what it means to be an American, uh, social responsibility and social justice, and engaging with the Jewish community. We have always done that. We still do that. And uh, in terms of being an old person's paper, which is sometimes <laughs> the preconception. It is a preconception, I think. Um, right? We, 30% of our readership is 18 to 35 today. I mean, people worry that younger generations don't care about being Jewish, but our readers care a lot. We should say it's written in English now. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, clarify, we're not just pulling from the Yiddish-speaking 18 to 35-year-olds. This is a really narrow That'd be a group. really narrow group. Um, but we, we published in Yiddish until 1990. So when you right. think about, at one point, the foreword was bigger than the New York Times. We had a bigger circulation than the Times. We were national. We had bureaus in every city. We had printing presses. We had a radio station. We had... Many, many properties. We've actually always been a multimedia company. When you call it a newspaper, mm -hmm. it's sort of shorthand. But in fact, we've always been cross-platform since we were founded. We still are. Um, but that giant footprint that we had in sort of the American Jewish psyche, because we only published in Yiddish until 1990, we kind of lost our relevance to a lot of readership, even though... The content in the paper has always been totally relevant and related to the Jewish community of, by, for, a Jewish lens on the wider world. Um, but when you only publish in Yiddish, you kind of lose a lot of your readership. <laughs> Since you know? the old dying off. So Right. I mean, let's be, to be blunt. Um, although there has been a resurgence, but not at quite the same numbers. Right. Um, but in 1990, the foreword, which has reinvented itself multiple times, decided, okay, now it's time to publish in English. And they hired this visionary editor named Seth Lipsky, an mm -hmm. incredible newspaper man, still publishing, he publishes the New York Sun. And he sort of transformed the operation into this really, it's always been gutsy, was still gutsy understood, and in English. Right, still, you know? so, still getting in trouble. <laughs> still, we'll talk about that. They were still <laughs> pursuing journalism without right. fear or favor. You I know, meant that's that our in job. not a negative way, by I the know, way. I know, from you, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I take it as a compliment. Um, yeah, we're very proud of the work we do. 
So how did it transform itself over these last 27 years from a Yiddish paper to what it is now, which is a monthly magazine, right? We're a monthly magazine, and well. we're a daily website. Right. Daily website, we have podcasts, we have a YouTube channel. I mean, we're, we're multi-platform, again, as we always were. Um, but what, what that means now is to be in all these different places that your audience can encounter you. We want to be where our readership is. So in 1990, we took a major step. We started publishing in English. Um, in we, We've had, let's see, Seth Lipsky was an editor-in-chief, J.J. Goldberg, and now we have Jane Eisner. J.J., I forgot about J.J. J.J., right, right. terrific writer, um, extremely knowledgeable. Uh, but Jane Eisner's been our editor-in-chief for almost 10 years, and she's the first female editor-in-chief, the first woman to lead the forward. Um, and we still have a Yiddish publication, by the way. We still have, in addition hmm. to our English magazine and website and podcast, et cetera, we have a Yiddish monthly print and a Yiddish daily website. For the Yiddish, their most popular outlet is YouTube. Their readership is growing on YouTube. Really? They've got videos, some videos with thousands of views of how to make matzo brai in Yiddish, instructional video. Really? Because for a lot of people, Yiddish is um, culturally resonant, right? It, it speaks to who you are. If you have an Eastern European Jewish background. Right. Yiddish is part of who you, it's part of your language, it's part of your psyche. But you Physical might, movement even. You might not even be able to write, watching me gesture with my hands. <laughs> you might not be able to read it, you know. Right. You might not be that fluent in the Hebrew letters. But if you watch a YouTube video with subtitles, you are immersed in that Yiddish world in a way that you almost can't do any other way. And so we actually have a growing readership of Yiddish fans and people who want to experience it. That's phenomenal. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah, there's a woman here in town, Rebecca Hofberger, who runs the American Visionary Arts Museum. Mm -hmm. She actually studied with, she studied Yiddish. Later. So did I. <laughs> she, yes, right, and I grew up with it. So, yeah. I, so, um, so you said a couple of things here. Mm -hmm. I, I, want, I want to explore, but let me start, let's start with the women, the mm -hmm. women question here. Mm -hmm. So the, the forwards, which is for many, many, many generations in the decades, was a male-dominated organization. Sure. Now you've got a woman. You, mm -hmm. publisher and CEO, mm -hmm. and a woman who's the editor-in-chief. That's right. And our Yiddish editor. Is also a woman. Rachel. Rachel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So how does that how does that change the nature of the environment? How does it change how you approach the work and the workplace? What's it done to transform things? This is an interesting question. I have never experienced the world as a man. So I don't know. What I would do differently. Uh, I mean, uh, I get this question. I understand. I understand. You know, right, I get right, the, right, how right. is it different? It's like, well, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, I know that I am running an organization, you know, efficiently with an eye to the business to make sure. My most important job is to make sure the forward stays open and continues to pursue its mm -hmm. mission. Um, my leadership style is my leadership style. How informed it is by me being female, I don't know. It's collaborative. It's communicative. It you know is very clear about metrics and goals and things we need to get done. Um, I like to hire great people and let them do their work without interfering too much. Trust but verify. You know all these things that right. are that are business leadership skills. And I don't know how much they connect with me being female. Um, I know that we're running an excellent organization with growing audience and significance. Happens to be run by all women. Um, I, I do know that, and I don't know what this has to do with age versus leadership. Mm -hmm. So the forward's 120 years old. 
over 120 years, a lot of things happen, and then you're still doing them because that's the way you've always done them. Right. So I'm trying to run a very connected organization where all the divisions talk to each other. At one point, that wasn't as much the style. It was much more, um, let's say, siloed. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much of that is me, how much of that is changing media, how much of that is, well, it's, you know, it's just somebody new who comes in and is working to change things. I don't know. And, and all the above, maybe. I, I think that, you know, people are wrestling with men and women, especially now in the workplace, given the explosions around uh, Fox News and Ailes and now with Weinstein. And it is different. I mean, I think that because if you have... A, if you have an institution that is, where there is always a under, undertone of threat because of, of men running a place and men who can be kind of very vicious when it comes to my women and underhandedly so, uh, that that's, that's changes if women are in place. And B, the other thing you said was collaborative. And I think women, at least my experience with women leadership and working with women collaborative is that they have, they're much more tuned to collaborative relationships than men mm -hmm. in many ways. You know, I think that there are differences that way. And I think that's something that we miss in the society because we've been so male dominated. We miss what that, we miss it, that kind of interaction and change the way we think about how organizations and systems can work. I will tell you one thing that, um, that building off what you're saying about style, um, I am passionate about incremental achievable change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't need to lead a revolution. Or if I'm leading a revolution, it needs to just be step by step, getting something done, making sure everybody's coming along, and that we don't have some crazy dramatic action that could <laughs> save the place or kill the place. Who knows? It's like, no, 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 no. Right, We're right. not doing that. We are making progress in realistic, achievable ways so that it's lasting and strong, and it brings everyone along. So, I don't know. I don't know. That, that's female just, or realistic or I don't know what it is, but I think that it has something to do with where we're moving to this twenty first century. So I think it's important when you're taking an institution that's hundred and twenty years old, mm -hmm. based in a culture many people think is dead, mm -hmm. which is the Yiddish culture. Mm -hmm. With so many people in the Jewish world wrestling with what it means to be Jewish in the twenty first century in America. Um younger people especially, eighteen mm -hmm. to thirty five mm -hmm. or eighteen to forty, whatever that is. I don't right. know where that is. I mean, so to have an organization led by younger women mm -hmm. is significant, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it's, a, it's, it's a joy. You know, I enjoy it. So the other piece that you said is, is uh, you said the, that the daily for, the forwards, not the mm -hmm. daily for, the forwards, right. uh, is, um, is always been a multi-platform journal. Right. Because of radio and other things. Mm -hmm. You no longer have a radio station. That's gone. We don't. Right. But we have a podcast. We have a podcast. So we have audio. You know, we got audio, we got video, we got print, we have digital. Um, our podcast actually really sort of encapsulates what we're trying to do with the forward, which is to engage with the Jewish people across the Jewish spectrum, age, denomination, political. Um, we're trying to engage in a constructive, smart, um, community-building way. So our podcast is called Fault Lines. And it's two guys. F-A-U-L-T. F-A-U-L-T. Mm -hmm. Lines. It's um, <laughs> And it is hosted. It's a, it's a conversation between Peter Beinart and Danny Gordis about 
Judaism, Israel, topics of interest to our readership, Peter and Danny, one from the left, one from the right, they really agree about very little, but they are good friends and they're committed to talk to each other, to talk and listen and learn. And that's really what the forward is trying to do, is to not be just this or just that or, you know, have some kind of litmus test that says, well, if you do it this way, then you're the right kind of Jew and then you can be part right. of our group. This is, the forward is for for everyone in the Jewish community and outside. So with the Jewish community in America, we're kind of wrestling with who it is at the moment. I mean, it really is, is which is why, as I told you later on this week, we'll be having a conversation on Sunday just about Jewish identity with Yehuda Kurtzman coming to town and you know, this dialogue in front of this audience at AVAM. Um, it's happening because people are wrestling with what that means. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Right? We see that in our in our pages, on our screens. Um, so how does that play itself out for you as publisher and CEO trying to build an organization or create an organization that attracts all kinds of Jewish readers? Mm -hmm. I mean, how does, how, does, how, how does that work? Well, we... And, and do when young people want to get into Jewish publications the way their parents and grandparents did? Well, you know, with 30% with of our readership, and we pull in one and a half to two million readers a month, so that is hundreds of thousands of young Jewish people coming to the forward to engage with their Judaism in some way. Um, we find, and, and by the way, we also have, which is something we launched in the past year, a community contributor area. Hmm. So we're no longer this sort of walled community where we're speaking to the readers and they can sit back and listen if they you like. like citizen journalists or just people writing opinion pieces? It's opinion. It can be citizen journalism. We have some comics. You know, it's sort of like mm -hmm. anything from the public who people who want to express their opinion and have it published in the foreword uh, can publish in our scribe area is what it's called, our community contributor area. Um, and we get a ton of submissions from people thinking about their Jewish identity in some way, um, thinking about um, we had a contributor write about her son's drug addiction and how she experienced it at the High Holidays. We had multiple, some of our youngest readers, college students, writing in about issues of race, Judaism, mm. whether Gal Gadot is white. We had many people submit articles with differing points of view around her whiteness, and it really mattered a great deal. Wonder Woman. Well, the, Wonder the, Woman. The Gal Israeli Gadot. I mean, as if the Israeli-born right. actress who, who, the Israeli -born Wonder actress Wonder who Wonder plays Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman. Right. I'm sorry, I forgot that not everybody on the planet knows who Gal Gadot <laughs> is. <laughs> everybody in my sphere knows who she is. Sure. Um, right. As, but uh, so there, there are these topics where people engage with their Judaism and identity in ways you might not have expected. You might not have thought like a Marvel superhero movie. I hope it's Marvel and not DC. I don't I even know if I Marvel, got that right. right. Marvel, DC. 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 Apologies. I used to review comics for Publishers Weekly, so I'm sorry. I should know that. <laughs> did you um, do that really? I did, really. It's a great job. Um, so anyway, you wouldn't have expected that this, you might not have expected that this comic book blockbuster would be a springboard for a community self-examination. Right. But, you know, if you're Jewish and you care about this stuff, then you're thinking about it. And the forward is one of the very few places with enough scope and breadth and connection to the wider Jewish community that you can have a community conversation around these issues from multiple points of view. And you're not just talking to the same 20 people in your Facebook feed you always talk to, but you're really speaking and hearing from the wider community. 
There's just not a lot of places you can do that. So and the, and the Forbes got into a real controversy recently, as I was reading, uh, for putting an ad in by the Jew, from the Jewish Voices for Peace. And, yes. And we talked about a little bit here. One of my producers, former producers, who just left to move somewhere else, is, is an activist inside of Jewish Voices for Peace. We talked a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. And... and, and uh, and so, you know, that, that, that was interesting because I mean, that's a, a, a radical group of many younger Jews, not just young people, but mm-hmm. Jews who believe that, that, um, that Israel is an occupying force in the West Bank um, and pretty fascistic the way they look at the way the Israeli society is built in terms of the West Bank and Gaza. Um, and, so th- and so there are a lot of people who really dislike the fact that you allowed JVP to put yeah. an ad in the, in the paper. Absolutely. And you defended that. And, and, and we defended it. Um, we are publishers. Our job is to publish. Our job is not to publish voices that you only agree with. Our job is to reflect the scope of thinking in the Jewish community. Um, this, uh, you know, we definitely talked about it and considered it. Um, to some, JVP is absolutely inflammatory and offensive. JVP <clears throat> obviously doesn't see themselves that way. Right. They see themselves as a legitimate voice in the Jewish community. Um, I talked about it at length, actually, with my predecessor, Sam Norwich, who grew up the first 10 years of his life in a German DP camp right after the war. His parents had survived, and he was. he said he had a happy childhood growing up in his DP camp surrounded by... Yiddish-speaking Jews. Um, when I have things that I find challenging, because I am new to the world mm-hmm. of being a, well, my, my rabbi is called a professional Jew. Um, <laughs> you know, so I want to talk to, I right. want to talk to the chairman of the board when we have something challenging. I want to talk to Sam and get his gut. Um, and he, he, we agreed this is, whether you like them or not, JVP is part of the Jewish community. They are Jewish. They're Jewish. And this is their point of view. And there's um, we actually went to the Center for Jewish History to talk about it um, on camera for a TV show. And Sam quoted this very famous anti-Semite from pre-Hitler, who Hitler got a lot of his ideas from, an Austrian, who said, Wer ist ein Jude? Bestimme ich. <laughs> Which is, who's a Jew? I decide. And we at The Forward do not want to be in the position of saying, you're in, you're out. You're Jewish, you're not Jewish enough. We'll publish you, but right. not you. If you are a Jewish voice, we're going to publish you. And you think it's important in the 21st century to have this Jewish voice? I mean, I think it's essential. And I think it's more <clears throat> essential now than people may have thought that it was in Obama's America. What do you mean? We Why? have a lot of staffers, young people on our staff, who grew up when, who came of age, let's say, grew up, but they came of age, they entered adulthood at a time when being Jewish was completely unremarkable. Anti-Semitism had gone, was, you know, tasteless. Right, unseen. Gauche. Might have still been out there, we find that it was, <laughs> but no, no, you know, civilized person would acknowledge it. Well, these days... The anti-Semites have taken their hoods off and picked up their tiki torches, and they're marching through the streets. And it is jarring, shocking, 
disturbing to a lot, to our staffers and to, you know, an entire generation who is astonished that this level of hatred and malevolence is out there. And we've certainly felt it at the forward. I mean, you know, when you say that, I, I always think about racism is bubbling over in America um, against African-American people in this country. It's there. Not just African-Americans. Right. Not just that. Exactly. Um, um, I've always said, though, that anti-Semitism is always bubbling under the surface. Just take something to make it erupt. Right. Right. Well, it's we're there. seeing that now. You know, it's it's so accessible. It's so... Um, you, know, you can't believe that people were marching through Charlottesville with swastikas just openly. It's, it is shocking. Um, and to have an administration that struggles to say that the Nazis are the bad guys is just surreal. Um, <laughs> but to... Yeah. <clears throat> so to be at a Jewish publication, Jewish media company that's focused on reporting what is actually happening in the world, real news, real journalism, and is connecting the Jewish community and is celebrating Judaism. You know, we publish all kinds of stuff about, you know, great culture and events and just the sort of delight of being Jewish, the fun of it. And that's another thing that, you know, is also hard to find. There aren't that many publications out there doing that. Um, and so... If you're kind of bummed out and you want to read what's happening and then you want to read about um, Paul Newman's lost film uh, and really get into sort of these people who've contributed to the Jewish cultural landscape, we're, we're there. We got it. So uh, I'd like to jump into an area that is that is your bailiwick mm-hmm. in many ways, which is the digital world. Mm-hmm. Um, and where you think this takes the forward. One of the things I was really loved, I watched an interview with you the other night that you did I guess three or four years ago when you were with parenting. Is that right? Parenting? Wow. Is <laughs> You're par- really, this is deep cut. Um, <laughs> was it parenting? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you were their content officer? Chief. I, uh, you were their, I was the editor in chief of parenting.com. Editor in That's right, right, right. Yeah. Content officer in the group before. Chief content officer at Patch. Patch, that's what right. it was. Okay. Right. right. You get it straight, Mark. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I failed. <laughs> you didn't memorize my I resume? I failed the test. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but you talked about. Your your um, your child and a soccer game where you oh, went yeah. to this soccer game. I remember this. And you these all these men were playing against adults were playing soccer in their uniforms, mm-hmm. kids in their uniforms, but nobody was watching the game among the kids because they were so busy looking at your their their whatever play they were right. playing with mm-hmm. um, digitally. Uh, and you said, I don't want this for my kid. So here you are, a digital woman, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? In terms of your work, yeah. So so talk about about that. About what that how that fits into your world of work and the contradictions that might arise from that, if they do arise. They don't. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, moving on. No, okay, I mean, fine. Next topic. Bad question. <laughs> no, um, it's, 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 what's interesting, actually, I think, is that I have been in the digital world since as long as you could be, you know, if you didn't work for the Defense Department. I mean, as long as a citizen mm-hmm. could be. I've worked at websites in, since 1995. I I've worked at websites. I went to graduate school at NYU in their arts and technology program mm-hmm. called the Interactive Telecommunications Program. I have been surrounded by and steeped in technology, and that totally demystifies it. So that having spent decades now 
watching each new technological thing show up, be shouted about, get evolved past. I mean, I am not, um, I'm not seduced by the promise of any one technological thing. And I certainly don't think that my children will be, di will be disadvantaged if they don't get a chance to use a screen every day. We have no screens during the week. We have limited screen time on weekends. Really? And that's it. I mean, we don't, we're not completely totalitarian about it. Right, right, right. We'll watch a trombone shorty video together, you know, stuff like that. But it's not you like... You like trombone shorty? Sure. I love trombone shorty. I mean, who doesn't? He's <laughs> terrific. At one point, our son was obsessed with it. Um, Good for him. So, uh, you know, so we enjoy media. My husband also, he teaches at ITP. We're, we're, we're two technologists who recognize the extreme limits of technology, uh, the, the delights and advantages of technology, but also like... You know, however, whatever the operating system is on the iPad now, it's going to be different in 12 months. Right. It's going to be different 12 months after that. My right. kid doesn't need to learn how to work this thing. And by the way, he'll learn in about three minutes anyway. So right. It's, right. So being so close to technology has both um, has taught me about its strengths and its limits. So what about where that technology is taking the business of news and print? Right. That's, in the future. And oh. so that's different than what right, you like, than child development. Right. But, but, um, but you, absolutely. But I want you to get to both of these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So I was really curious about your um, view of that. So well, there's so many ways to go on this because technology has, of course, you know, the fact that everyone can carry a phone around has their mini computer that they're carrying around. Well, all the time. With their immediate access to right. all the knowledge that was ever collected is beyond staggering. It's sort of, you can't have, actually conceive of how much information you have access to in your hand. Right. Um, at one point when the bar to entry for media was incredibly high, it was thrilling that anybody could publish anything anytime they wanted. Now we see the downsides of everybody publishing whatever they want anytime they want. Um, I've seen trends sweep through. People were blogging, then they were tweeting, then they were Pinteresting, then they were Instagramming, then they were Facebooking, then they were, I can't even remember the name of the six-second video platform that came and went in two years. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Do you remember that? <laughs> what was it called? We're going to find out. Okay, yeah. It? We're about to find out okay. what it was called. What was it uh, called, Calvin? Vine. Vine. You didn't have to tell Vine. me. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> the producer coming in made my brain work really good, fast. Good, good, good. Um, but so, like, that thing came in. People were, you know, every manufacturer was pouring money into these Vine superstars. I mean, the stuff comes and goes. Um, and so the challenge for the reader is actually, you know, the challenge for the reader is consider the source. It's always consider the source. Mm -hmm. But in Revolutionary War America, it was consider the source. Is it like that crazy tracked printer down the lane and you know he's nuts? Or is it the really good guy from Philadelphia who actually knows what the news is? I mean, the reader always has to sort through who they're listening to. Um, you know, the fact that the, the American public sort of fell out of practice because there were a few companies that had all the authority, all the power, but you could pretty much trust that they were playing by the same set of rules, which was telling the truth in a particular way. If you get used to trusting trusting it because you saw it in the paper, mm -hmm. and then, well, it's not the paper, it's Facebook, but it's still a big publisher, and you transfer that trust to this new platform without vetting who you're getting your news from, that's dangerous. I mean, we know how dangerous that is. We've seen it, you know, right. swimming through American politics in a it's shocking way. It's ubiquitous now. Yeah. 
So when you look at the future of, before we come right back to the forwards, mm-hmm. many people say the future of Prince is over. Prince is dead. No, they said that about radio. They said it about radio as well. <laughs> Here we but, are. But it's, but it's transforming itself. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? yes. Um, the word of podcast is transforming radio immensely. Right. Not the same as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Most young people, my youngest daughter, never turns on the radio. Right. She's probably got her podcast, and that's Every, how she gets her news, she or whatever she listens to in the morning. Exactly. Or, mm-hmm. You know, that's how they do it. Um, and even I do it like that. I, you know, I, I, I don't. I love radio. I was in it for a long time on public radio, but I would rather download what I want to hear mm-hmm. than. Right. We just have NPR, WNYC on every right. morning, but, right. yeah, but well, I get it. Get, right. I get, you get that. Right. So, so the question is both in terms of where you see journalism going in this digital age. Is print dead, A? But B, as publisher and CEO of the forwards, you are also charged with making money for the, for the, for the publication. Right. And people have still yet to figure out how to monetize in a large way the digital world, mm-hmm. and that money still comes through print more than it does the digital world. Mm-hmm. So, how, so wh- where do you where do you see it going? I mean, and how because that affects your day to day work. Absolutely, right? right. And our structure is now built around reaching sustainability. So the forward had so many investments in the first half of the century; it was able to fund its journalism since 1944. Since what, 1944, we've been selling. What do you mean so many investments in it? What does that mean? Real estate, radio, uh, radio stations, gotcha. printing presses, right. like assets, hard right. assets. Hard assets. Actual right. stuff right. that right. gained in value. And uh, we have not been profitable since 1944. Well, that works. Have not been profitable since right. And we've been selling off the assets. Can you imagine how big this company was? I'm telling you, it was huge. So, A you socialist know, we, we, newspaper was that big. Well, the thing is, the reason that the forward's still around is it's always been nonprofit. There were no owners to take the money uh, out. The money's always gone back uh, into the business. So it has funded itself. So our ancestors, you know, the generations before us, worked hard. They built up these assets. They funded the paper. Well, it's our turn now. We have to fund the paper. And they did it in some ways on very old socialist principles. Right. Right. I mean, it's a capitalist world. you got to make money. You're going to go to business. Right. But you can have these sort of social... Mm-hmm communal values that say we share with everybody. And the forward has always supported itself. It's been a nonprofit. Um, we recently, about six years ago, gained our 501c3 status, which is a nonprofit that can fundraise. Right. You can, you can always fundraise. Your donors can write off the donation. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the key difference. That's a big difference. Anybody could give us money whenever they wanted, but now they get a tax advantage. Um, and that was a turning point for the forward because we need the public to support us in the same way NPR needs the public to support them. We have advertising, we have subscriptions, and we have fundraising. Those are our three revenue streams. Um, you know, if hmm. the forward matters to you, please subs- share, subscribe, donate. You know, that's the message that we need but to get out to readership. But you don't block the website from people. We have a paywall. So you can read 10 articles a month for free. I see. It tends a lot. Tends a very high limit. Um, most readers don't read 10 articles a month. People come in. They read a couple. We'd love everybody to read, you know, beyond 10 articles a month and subscribe. But we're there and we're available for readers in a pretty robust way before you pay a dime. Then if you like it, you can pay monthly. You can pay annually. It's a regular pay meter like right. other pay newspapers have because journalism costs money. You know, we have to pay our staff, and we have an excellent staff. <laughs> the mark of honor is that it's been poached by everybody from The Atlantic to The Times to Refinery29. Jeffrey Goldberg, editor-in-chief of The Atlantic, started at The Forward. 
Ben Smith, editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed, started at the forward. You know, we have people all over. The Atlantic just pulled somebody from us a few months ago. So, you know, we mm -hmm. have this high, high-quality journalism um, endeavor cost money. Um, and we want to support it. And, you know, we'll never skimp on the journalism. So, But we need to pay for it. So subscriptions, advertising, and fundraising. And we're really working to get that message out because people don't think of the forward as a nonprofit. They don't think of us in the same way they think of NPR. It's like, well, you've got to donate. Right. You, know, you listen, you got to donate. The forward, you know, that's it's we have not had a lot of years or, and practice and sort of institutional knowledge on getting that message out. So we have a lot of work to do there. That's your job. That's my job. <laughs> so... In doing that job, as include doing that job, so what if for you is the arc mm -hmm. between the foundings of this socialist newspaper by Avram Kahan? Mm -hmm. Nice, favorite, right? nice, well, well done. Who who started this newspaper, and he was a name in my grandparents grandparents' home because mm -hmm. they knew who he was. Mm -hmm. The forwards was what they read. Yep, it was their link to the world, mm -hmm. right? Um, so what's the connection between that and this? I where mean, we are today. The forward has always been about. Um, the reader's place in the world, the reader's place in America, the reader's responsibility as a citizen, the community's responsibility to each other. Um, the forward was instrumental in the American labor movement. I mean, just as the immigrants were changed by their trip to the new world, the Eastern Europeans had a major impact on American justice through the labor rights movement. I mean, the forward was out there um, crusading for fair wage, fair work. My grandmother worked at the Gelfand's mayonnaise factory. You know, the readers were the workers, the workers were the readers, and the forward was there for them. In the same way the forward has always been there for its readers, it's there now. It's there now that Jews are considering more existential questions. Who am I? Where do I fit? Who are we? What is our place in the world? You know, how is the world changing and how do we change with it? I mean, the forward is still there to help the readership understand its place in America and as a citizen and as a good person. And that's your job. And I mean, just, we, should, we should have started with this, but we'll conclude with this. We didn't say this, but you're a Baltimore girl. I am a Baltimore <laughs> girl. Yes, that's how, of course I knew Mark Steyer, a Baltimore girl. <laughs> so you grew up here. I grew up here. Listen, everybody grew up here. My whole family, <laughs> both sides, landed here, and they never left. Right. I mean, cousins, aunts, uncles, right. out, 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 third, fourth, way. <laughs> this is, you know, this is my town. Well, this has been a joy having you in the studio. It has been a delight. Thank you for having Rachel me. Rachel Fishman, Federson, publisher and CEO of The Forwards. We'll be linking to The Forwards here on our podcast and on our website and more. Uh, and good luck tonight at Beth DeVille with your speech. Thank you. And look forward to having you back in Baltimore when you're going to be speaking in January. I'm speaking to in January at Beth Alm. At Beth Alm. Mm -hmm. So good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This program was produced and edited by Calvin Perry with assistance from our intern, Nora Belbidia. You can download the podcast and more at steinershow.org and on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting app. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for The Mark Steiner Show. And please let us know what you think. Write me at markandsteinershow.org. We'll be back in a couple more days with a brand new podcast.